Man, it has been a great week just to see the Lord on the move. Um, thanks for being flexible and coming here, because everybody that's here intended to come at this time, right? Like, there may be people who come to the 11 because they came to the 10, like they'll be showing up in 30 minutes, and then, you know, it's kind of all default, but you all actually came intentionally at this time, and we've been, with the movie night that Patty mentioned, just to have 30-plus middle school, high school kids come together and just be glued to Jesus and to what he's doing has been exciting. And if you have a middle school or high school kid, like it's not too late to jump in on that and you can kind of catch the other ones later. Or even if you're if you're aunt and uncle or, or any relation to people that you know, like, man, I'd love for them to be in an environment like that. I'd love for them to be around other uh, people who are pursuing Jesus together. Uh, we, would, we would love that opportunity. We've had some great conversations about Jesus in our community this week. We've seen people respond to Jesus in beautiful ways in our community this week. And man, I'm just, I'm, I'm up here feeling like Jesus is on the move and excited that Jesus is on the move and looking to him to do that in us and through us today. Um, one thing that's been interesting this week has been observing my 14-year-old daughter, Hannah, um, this week endure pain. I've been excited to watch her endure pain this week. I know that sounds like really sadistic. Um, she has woken up earlier than usual this week, which for a teenager, summertime, to actually be like, I'm actually going to get up earlier than normal, um, willingly. She's then spent up to three hours each day in the blazing sun, just like going all, all out every day for at least three hours or for around three hours in the blazing sun, willingly. And uh, 30 other ladies have been doing the same thing in our community since softball started. <laughs> and being a part of the softball team this week, and I've been, had the joy of dropping her off and kind of sticking around and being like, okay, this is a, the won the state championship two years in a row. I want to see what the magic is. You know, I want to see the way that, that uh, Coach Hogue is, is leading them. And uh, one, one of the things I think that is amazing is to see these young ladies stepping into like this crazy work ethic because they know the victorious team that they're stepping into. So they're stepping into this, they're, they're going into the strong work, work ethic, they're going into what they know is going to be really painful, they know that what they actually want probably is for them to endure more than any other team is enduring during this time because that's probably going to allow them to be victorious. <laughs> like if it showed up and we're like, hey, we've won last two years, why don't we just sit back and just enjoy it because we'll probably win. It's like, no, everybody's out to get us, so we need to be working harder than anybody else is working. And it's been interesting for, for me to ask Hannah and for us to ask Hannah, who has just kind of given herself to the process, and just be like, whatever the coach says, whatever the coaches say, I'm trusting that they're leading me towards me being the best I can be and me being victorious. And almost every time I say, or we say, was it hard? And she's like, oh man, it was so hard. And then, did you have a good time? Yes. And it's like, how can those two things in our culture seems to be separate? But to be like, this is so hard, and it is so good. 
And, uh, and that's been her first week of softball. And, uh, and I think like when you see victory on the horizon or you're hopeful for victory on the horizon, you're willing to do the work to get there. And uh, this is Daniel chapter 7. <laughs> that's where I was going with all of this. Is, uh, in Daniel chapter 7, we're not talking about a softball game. We're talking about battles, battles that are more terrifying, battles that have way more on the line, that have much more impact on our lives. And through Daniel, what we're given is a glimpse of something that is so victorious, a glimpse of something that is so victorious that I think any pain, any challenges, any worn-out, tiring pursuits are worth enduring if we know that we're heading towards victory. And you might not think of church that way. You might not think of following Jesus that way. And that's kind of the purpose of opening up the word of God is to say, like, let's not just kind of sit back and assume that we know God's ways. Like, a joy of walking with him is for him to disciple us every day. And then as we gather in community, uh, we're being discipled together into following him. And so, so what Daniel sees, I think, is crucial for us to see. And I just want to pray that the Lord would show that to us. So, so Lord, as we, as we step into this mighty chapter of Scripture, Lord, would you open our eyes, areas that maybe we have just um, wrote, just we've written the story that of failure, of disappointment, of hopelessness, Lord, we just look to you to write your story over our lives. Would you open our hearts to this vision that Daniel saw, and it would it become the vision for our lives? Jesus, we ask you, by your mercy and your name, we pray these things. Amen. All right, so this is a, uh, man, this is a concentrated chapter. It's kind of like concentrated orange juice. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, I'll kind of summarize some parts of it, and then in our community groups this week, we'd love to have you join us. We're kind of just sitting around fire pits, diving into the word more. Um, we'll, we'll walk into more aspects of this. But in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7, what's happening is that Daniel has a dream, and his dream becomes a vision from God. And what's fascinating is up until now, so we've gone through, this is our eighth week in the book of Daniel, and you're welcome on our website, sacredmission.church. We have a sermons link, and you can go and get caught up and, and step into the previous six chapters, which have been so necessary, I feel like, for our time. But here, what's happened, for the first time, Daniel himself has the vision. So before, it was Nebuchadnezzar. It was other people were the ones that had a vision, and Daniel, because he walked with God, was able to interpret the visions for people in ways that they knew only someone who walks with God could actually know these things. And so now we have Daniel himself, as he is just walking with God, he's given a vision of what things will be. And in this dream, he sees four beasts, like not like four cows, but like four beasts that are terrifying, they are powerful, they are aggressive, and they are devouring people. The fourth beast of these four beasts, the fourth beast is the most terrifying of all of them. It has ten horns on its head, 
And while Daniel is actually looking at this beast and these ten horns, this little horn comes out of the beast, and the little horn is saying things that is terrifying and world-altering. And it feels to him like all hope is lost, and it feels like chaos wins. All hope is lost, chaos wins. And in the midst of Daniel seeing all these beasts without yet knowing what any of this means. So Daniel's like, I have no clue what this means. And he's just telling us what he sees, that while he's there, there's a scene change. And it's like, okay, I see these beasts, and then it's like, act two. And the scene change is verse nine. So look at verse nine. As I looked, Daniel says, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. He had just seen these terrifying beasts, and now he's seeing this, this one who's known as the Ancient of Days. Take his seat. His clothing is white as snow, his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So while the hideous beasts are terrorizing the earth, the Ancient of Days sits down. And the way I picture that is it's in a way that you know we're in a courtroom, and this is... Something important is going to happen in this courtroom. Uh, then you see the judge come in, and the judge walks towards his seat. And you know when the judge sits down, things are going to get started. And, uh, and this is kind of the picture that is being painted as the Ancient of Days sits down into his courtroom. His name is the Ancient of Days, which is a title that's only used of one. It's only used of the Creator it's only used of the one who has no beginning. That's why he's the ancient of days. He's the eternal one. So he's not like new to the scene. He's not kind of just showing up for the first time. These beasts are showing up for the first time, but the one who always has been and always is walks into his courtroom. Scripture refers to God as a consuming fire. We, you, you can't just, like, block him out. He's a consuming fire. And then there are thousands and thousands rightfully serving him, standing in his presence. The court is open, and books are opened that will bring justice to light. When those books are open, you know justice is on the way. Then verse 11. Remember, Daniel is seeing this. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, this little horn. I love how God is portrayed as the ancient of days, the judge. And I think this is Satan or one who is in that line, the prince of darkness, and he's referred to as a little horn. Just a little sharp thing, you know. But the little horn, as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. 
So, so in the dream here, this fourth beast is killed by God. Darkness, terrifying darkness, is effortless for him to remove, and it's killed by God. The rest of the beasts, though, are still able to live for a time, but their true power has been defeated. So they've been removed of the power that they once had. Now, verse 13. And I just want to let you know, like, a verse like verse 13, I think there's like 1,100 chapters in the Bible, 66 books of God's holy library for us to know him, live in him, spend a lifetime feasting on. And a verse like verse 13 is like one of those memorable, we should for a lifetime have these words just etched deep in our hearts. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. He says, there came one like a son of man, which this is Jesus' favorite title for himself. As you read the Gospels, he refers to himself as the son of man, which ties to Ezekiel's prophecies as well. And so this is like a, just spiking the football of, of, of just, this is clearly Jesus. It's as clear as clear can be. There came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, to his Father, and was presented before him. Verse 14, and to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Now, because of free will, he invites people to follow him. He does not demand our allegiance because that would not be true love. So he says here that they should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. The little horn had some dominion that was taken away from him. This king, this son of man, his dominion can never be stopped. His power can never come to an end which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Man, I think if we picture Jesus like in our mind's eye, if we picture Jesus in our heart as this like, just like sweet, little, weak, moral teacher, and that's all he is, is just a guy who's like, just like throwing tweets out there, and like, maybe you could like some of them, maybe you wouldn't, maybe, maybe some are worth retweeting, maybe some aren't. Like, if that's our, like, if that's a little Jesus, uh, man, we're just wrong. <laughs> that's a wrong view, uh, because uh, this Jesus, as the Ancient of Days, is giving him everlasting dominion. Jesus is the king of a kingdom where all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, it's an everlasting dominion that will never pass away nor ever be destroyed. And I, you know, I, I think in some ways we could think of Jesus as being some guy who did stuff in the past, right? Like, oh yeah, I remember Jesus, like he came, we celebrate that at Christmas, well, we, we, we celebrate that he came at Christmas, we celebrate that he died for us at Easter, and we remember him, and church is kind of like, a group of like people kind of stepping into like a, a remembering things of the past. 
And I love what this is pointing is like, he's just getting started. And he is on an ever-increasing trajectory of his kingdom and of his ways increasing in a way that will never end. And Jesus, as all places and kingdoms of the world are like this, he is increasingly like this and is just getting started. And in verse 15, this is Daniel's response to what he's seen. And Daniel still doesn't actually have an interpretation. He doesn't quite know what all this means. We do because we live on the other side of, of the New Testament and all that. We know so much more than Daniel did, but he does know powerful things. And his response in verse 15 is, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. The visions of my head alarmed me. I don't think he ever assumed that, like, that the Son of Man would actually be killed. I mean, there are things, I think, that he saw that were coming that were like, wow, that doesn't look like ever-increasing power. There's, it looks like a battle, <laughs> and it looks like a strong battle, and, he's, and so this is, like, alarming him. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So Daniel isn't given the interpretation like he usually is. Uh, he has to approach someone who's in the middle of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. And verse 17 and 18 is when the, this uh, um, interpretation really gets started. And um, I kind of warn you to let verse 18 take your breath away. So verse 17, this is the interpretation beginning. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So these ravenous, terrifying, these are kings leading empires. And then verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever, forever and ever. It's not a typo. Forever, forever and ever. You think this is just a, like a flash in the pan thing? <laughs> this is a thing that's just getting started, and it will be forever, forever, and ever. And um, just that word, but the saints of the Most High shall receive. Powerful kings, they take power. They're, they're grabbing, they're, they're just, I want to consume and take power. And what I love is it's like, hey, those who are going to walk in power are those who receive. And what they receive is from the Most High God. You know, like Jesus is worthy just to be like, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to push back darkness and I'm going to, I'm going to reign and rule and I'm going to be the top dog. And I love that he actually just talks about us. He's like, hey, the saints of the Most High, they're going to inherit all of this. Now, he's going to be the head of us, but we're going to inherit this. Um, man, I think verse 17 should hit home if you feel the brokenness of this world. If you're just like, man, there's so much brokenness here. Verse 17 should hit home if you feel like life is not as it should be. I think verse 17 should hit home when it feels like there's always opposition against you. No good deed goes unpunished. Things like that are like verse 17. Four beasts, four kings arising out of the earth to terrorize the saints, but the saints of the Most High. And I think just sometimes some of the most powerful times in Scripture start with the word but. 
all of this, but it's not the end of the story. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. In the interpretation that's given to Daniel, um, in verse 25, he unpacks more. So this is after 18. Verse 25, it's like, hey, let's just know that. Now I'm going to unpack a little bit more about what it's going to be like living in the midst of this little horn, okay, with this, this um, little horn that's come out of this beast. Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. I think that's part of what terrified Daniel. It's like saying, hey, this, this little horn is going to just wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given. So this would talk about the law of God, like it's trying to rule and set up kingdoms that are against the law of God, um, and they shall be given into his hand, given into the hand of the little beast. It'll feel like times like we're losing. We're losing badly for a time, times, and half a time. What does that mean? I don't know. All that I know is I feel this a lot. So uh, we're not given exact, um, in this book, we're not given an exact timeline of how this is all playing out. But it will seem for a while like we're losing. It will seem for a while like the saints of the Most High have been worn out. And it will be a long battle. And then there's another but. Verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment. Don't think that justice is being averted. Don't think that the wicked always win. But the court will sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Justice will be served. God is a God of justice. It's deep in his heart. He can never even operate against it, even if he tried. It's just who he is. He's merciful, and he's just. Verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And it's like, man, I feel like we're hearing this a bunch of times in chapter seven. And I think that's the design is like, I want us to hear this a bunch of times. I don't want it to just be like, oh yeah, I heard that once. It's like, no, I'm bringing you back to this over and over. I'm bringing you back to this. Like, I actually want you to think about this as you're, as you're out and around the community. I want, to, want you to think about this in your homes. What is coming? What is coming our way? This fourth kingdom, man, I think it's referring generally at this time to the kingdom of darkness where Satan rules. For some time, there's a battle. The time, we're not told exactly how long this battle lasts, but for some times, there's a battle between the saints of the Most High, and it'll look a bunch of the times like the saints of the Most High are losing and being worn out. Time, times, and half a time could refer to this long age of the church. We've been in the age of the church where Jesus is victorious, where his power is ever-increasing, We've been in this age for 2,000 years where he says, I'm coming soon. And I want to tell you this, like, we could be like, hey, raise your hand if you wish Jesus came back last week. Probably most people raise their hand, right? I think it's his mercy that we have people in here that gave their life to Jesus less than a week ago. 
So for me, I'm like, I'm really glad he didn't come back last week so that those people can worship him forever and be in his presence forever. So it's actually only his mercy that is allowing more people to come to him before we see the beast truly vanquished and we see his kingdom increase exponentially. Verse 28 is how Daniel ends this. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Man, what those people are getting ready to step into in this battle of light and darkness made him go pale because he saw um, the, the battle that we are in, that we've been in in the age of the church. But people from darkness are being won daily to being saints of the Most High, which I love. Every day, people are going from being in the dark and then being saints of the Most High God walking in the light. Daniel saw this. Paul wrote merely, uh, very clearly of this. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, I thought this was so clear, and it, it shows just how hundreds of years later, Paul is writing in, in a very clear way that is also showing what Daniel 7 is saying. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. We're not better than anybody. We, we all have lived this way, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we didn't have to clean ourselves up to come to him. We just came to him when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places. Sounds like Daniel 7. In Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Being a saint of the Most High is a gift from God. Being a saint of the Most High is a gift from God and it's received by faith. That's how we receive it. We receive it by faith, trusting your life into his nail-scarred, powerful, capable hands. And uh, man, how is this forming me? How has this been forming me this week? Um, how, how prayerfully, I think, is this forming us? I think one like huge question, and I, I, I lived in this question for several years in the late 90s, but one question is just, am I on the right side of this battle? Am I on the right side of this battle? If Jesus is your Savior, if you've given your life to Jesus, then this chapter talks about you using the term saints of the Most High God. It's like, do you earn that? No, it's a gift, and I receive it through faith. If we are followers of Jesus and he is our Savior, we're on the right side of this battle, and get this, Jesus' victory is our victory. 
If Jesus' victory is not your victory, then his victory is your defeat. That's, a, that's clarity. That is clarity. It's a gift to hear that, is that if Jesus' victory is not your victory, then his victory is your defeat. The greatest sin of your life will be rejecting the Son of Man who approached the Ancient of Days and to say, ah, I'll do it my own way. And be like, you can't outlive him. <laughs> you can't outperform him. You can't overachieve what he achieved. So following him, his victory is our victory. Resisting him, his victory is our defeat. The only one who gave his life so that you could actually be appropriately called a saint of the most high God. And man, I, I think when it just feels like the world's like hitting the fan in your life and it, it just feels like everything is not as it should be, to be able to look in the mirror and just say, I am a saint of the most high God with a kingdom that is ever increasing is, uh, is awesome, is powerful, is why he's telling us this. He doesn't want us to be like too humble to embrace this, but actually to fully and courageously embrace this. Uh, then, uh, man, I think, am I on the right side of this battle? And am I living in light of my victorious future? Am I growing in patient endurance, endurance knowing that this is not my home? This is not the end of the story. Am I growing and seeing darkness, seeing darkness and just going for it with the light of the world, knowing that he is victorious to push back any darkness that could stand in our way? Are my prayers these little defeated small prayers? God, I don't know if you're capable. Jesus, I don't know if you're really, um, man, still as powerful as you used to be. Um, and so I, I just don't know. Man, are our prayers increasing as, as our faith is increasing and as we're increasing in our community, seeing him working? Am I thinking about my victorious future? There have been times that um, Patty's been in some chronic pain recently, and I think for me, um, just rubbing her shoulders and just being like, man, this is not the way it's going to be. Like, I mean, we're, we're on the road to a victorious future. We're enduring softball practice that's hot because we know where we're heading, and we're able to, to, to just be renewed in the moment because victory is on the horizon. Uh, man, I think the, the, it's a little cutesy, but I think it is so good for us at the core of our being to know this is not like, the answer is not to try harder. We're not saints of the people who try harder. <laughs> We're saints of the most high God. So the Christian life, I think, boils down to two things, okay? And I think this is really important to know both things. The Christian life boils down to two things. One is go to Jesus, okay? I think I got a slide. The first is go to Jesus. The Christian life boils down to two steps. Go to Jesus. The second one is, see number one. <laughs> like truly, truly, it's like, okay, what else do I do besides go to Jesus? Okay, next one, go to Jesus. We come back to him, come back to him, come back to him because he is victorious. Because, I mean, in just a small way, like that's what Hannah does for the coach. It's just like, okay, I did, or I'm hurting, or I'm this, or I'm this. Where do I go? Well, you go back to the one who's got the whole picture in mind, who is leading us towards the victorious future, and we keep coming back to him, keep coming back to him. We're changing 
were being formed. Hannah last night even was like, hey, pitch some balls to me. I want you to see how much better I am after just a week. And she almost took my head off multiple times. My mom can attest that. It was like, wow, that almost hit you in the head. <laughs> like she hit the ball so hard. And like now she's energized to just keep going after it because she's seeing the change. And man, that's as we follow Jesus and go to Jesus, he is changing us from the inside out. We're seeing it and we're just like, you know, those who are most hungry for God are those who are most satisfied in God. As we feast in him, we're like, okay, I, I want to keep going and keep going and keep going as you keep changing us and changing our communities and seeing lives change both in our families, in our community, and so on. Um, so I think we should go to Jesus. And uh, one of the things that he designed for us was communion, to go to him. And a beautiful thing about this is it's actually called communion because we're communing with Jesus. We're coming to him. And what the, the bread, it's a, all of them are gluten-free crackers, so we're simplifying it. So my, apologize, my apologies for those who don't need to, drink, to eat gluten-free crackers. But, um, but it's, it's in one sense like a bad-tasting cracker. But... <laughs> But in a other sense, it is the victorious body of our Savior that was given for us. And so as we take it corporately together, uh, we're, we're coming to him. And he said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me, communing with me. And then uh, we're, this is grape juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. We take it from the inside out because he cleanses us and forgives us from the inside out. The warnings that are given in taking this is not necessarily to those who aren't followers of Jesus. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, I would say, don't take this bread, don't take this juice right now, take Jesus. Give your life to him, and then come and take this. Um, but if you have given your life to Jesus, if you're walking in him, the warning in scripture is just don't do this lightly. Don't just... Just, don't just come running without actually maybe first repenting of sin that he's showing you. Ways that he wants to change you. Say, hey, change me. Change me however you want because I know it's for my good. And then let's come and commune with him together. So the way that we'll do is we'll, we'll come, take the elements, we'll go back to our, our seats, let's just stay standing, and then as family, we'll take it together as saints of the Most High. So, so let's come uh, as you're ready.